0: Good, good. Well, it is good to be with you guys. Um, So I think if you were to take a look around, you would see that there are positions of leadership or positions of authority like everywhere you look. You'd see it in homes, parents, although the kids think that they're the ones who are in control sometimes. You'd see coaches, teachers, police, government, bosses. Like you see leadership, you see authority everywhere you look. And I would say that, that there's... Uh, Positions of authority have been woven into the fabric of our society, and um, I'm sure that all of us have seen ugly leadership. I'm sure we've seen those who are in authority that are controlling, or not approachable, or they're prideful, they're self-focused, or they lack integrity, or maybe even an all-out abuse of power. I think that hopefully some of us have seen some good leadership, some good uh, positions of authority to where maybe we see um, those leaders who are encouraging or hardworking or transparent, gentle, or caring. And I think that all of us would say that we can see that there is a huge need of good leadership, not only um, in the church, but everywhere. And so today, what we're actually going to talk about is how, does, how did God design leadership for the church? How, what does God have to say about authority in the church? And I think that we'll be able to take it multiple places, but I'm sure many of you have heard the term elder. The, the dictionary describes an elder as a person who's valued for their wisdom and holds an administrative role. But today, what we want to look at is what does the Bible teach about elders, about authority, and about leadership? And really, a lot of what we're going to talk about will apply to lots of areas of leadership in and outside of the church. It will apply to more than just elders, but it's going to be specific to that. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20. We've been going through the book of Acts for about seven years now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we've been in there a little while, but, you know, there, sometimes there's this tendency to kind of keep on changing. But man, there's just so much rich, good things. And so I'm so thankful that we've taken our time and and paced ourselves as we've gone through the book of Acts. But we've been in in Acts for a little while. And the book of Acts takes place after Jesus had died. He had risen. He had ascended into heaven. And it really deals with the global expansion of Christianity. And so we've been, for a while here, we've been following Paul on his third missionary journey. And he's Been preaching, he's been reasoning from the scriptures, he's been healing, discouraging the worship of idols, he's been reminding them of their identity, which is what we talked about last week when Josh preached. Um, And really, Paul's been in Ephesus for about three years, that's where he's been. He's been hanging out in Ephesus, he's been um, really doing all those things, but now he's kind of making his rounds to say goodbye. And last week we talked about it, we're going to continue talking about that what happens is is Paul sends for the Ephesian elders to come meet him, and they they come meet him, and he kind of gives them a goodbye speech, kind of a charge, Um, kind of reminds me of like a halftime speech from a coach, like kind of fire them up, and then they all are saying goodbye, and Paul tells them like, this is the last time you're going to see me. And you kind of have this emotional scene where there's tears, they're hugging, they're kissing, they're praying. And part of it is because, Paul, because they know they're not going to see Paul again, but I think it's going to be years before Paul will die. But Paul, I think at this point, knows he's on the last leg of his life. He knows um, that the, the words that he says from this point forward matter. They've always mattered, but they really matter right now. So, What I think that we're going to see in the text is as Paul's sharing with these Ephesian elders, I think we're going to see that he kind of tells them what are the roles, what are the purposes, what are the duties of elders or those in leadership? What are elders to do? And I think another thing that he kind of points out is how should they look? What are the things that should characterize an elder? And again, um, that's what we're going to be talking about. I think it applies a million different ways in all of our lives. And so my challenge and encouragement to you is don't check out because it doesn't feel like the message is maybe up for you, if that makes sense. But it, it definitely will be. And from there, once we talk about what are elders to do, how should they look, we're going to talk about a couple things I think each of us can specifically learn as we take this text and go. Before we jump in, though, let's read our text. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter twenty verse 25 through 28, and then we're going to skip 29 and 30. That's what we're going to talk about next week, and then we'll pick back up with 31 through 38. So, beginning in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, this is what the Bible says. And now, behold, and again, this is Paul speaking, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all for the words that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we look at this goodbye, this charge from Paul to the Ephesian elders, that you will help us to see what it is that you would have us to see. Yeah, we know that your word is supposed to be useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. and So God, I pray that it would do that. God, I pray that the words that come from my mouth will be yours. I pray um, that there would be a deep sense of conviction. God, I pray that you would be glorified through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, verse 28, it says so much in verse 28, and, but before we really jump into those things that I mentioned that we're really going to talk about is what are, what are the purposes of an elder and how are they supposed to look, I think that we must start with something else, and it's this. It says, pay careful attention to the flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I think it's important for us to all know and understand that it is God himself who gives authority, who puts people in leadership. In fact, there's a place in the Bible that says that there's no one who'd be in leadership without God allowing, ordaining them to be in positions of authority. And so God himself is who, who designed this. And the other thing that I think that we must see is that it says that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's an S, there's plural. In fact, most everywhere you would look, you can't find the term elder singular unless it is of John referring to himself as an elder. So I think it's important for us to, to see that the text is saying that God himself gave a plurality of elders, that it was his design. That's how he did it. So that's the first and foremost. But then as we jump into what are elders to do, verse 28 says this, that they are to pay, pay careful attention to the flock that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers to care for the church. Now, depending upon what translation you have, it may not say care for, it may say to Shepherd. And so right, off the, right out of the gate, we see that elders are called to be people to oversee, to care for, and to shepherd. And you can see that language other places. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it goes through the qualifications of an elder. And it says in that text, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, they desire a good thing. And then it goes on and says, but that person must manage their household well. If not, how can he care for the church? So again, right out of the gate, we see oversee, we see shepherd, we see care for. That is why God puts a plurality of elders in a place so that they would be able to give oversight. In the text, it talks about that they should be alert. He says that night and day I was watching, and you saw that among me. And so, so God does that. He places authority, places leaders in the church in order to give oversight or to have watchful, responsible care. He also, number two, he gives elders to shepherd the flock. And I think really shepherding is to guiding to a specific direction, guiding. We'll come, to, we'll come back and we'll talk more about that as well. But a third thing is that the elder is to have a deep, genuine care for the flock. And as I was thinking about this, I said, you know what? It is impossible to do that without being in deep community with. You don't see a shepherd who just like hangs out at home while the sheep are out in the field. He's among the sheep. And so what you see is it's impossible to do any of those things, to give oversight to shepherd or to care for unless you are there among them. But what does it really mean to to be deep in community? And as I was thinking about this, I immediately went to 1 Thessalonians. I love 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, there are three different things that are said that um, are so profound about what does it mean to be living in deep community? What does it mean to be living in a community in such that there's overseeing, there's shepherding, there's care that's being given? And it reminded me of um, cha- uh, verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says Paul says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. In verse 8 he says that we were delighted to not only share the gospel with you, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. And in verse 11, he says, like a father with a child. So God gives elders to a church to oversee, to shepherd, to care for, to live in community with, to share lives, to, to, um, to care for like a father would care for a child, to be like a nursing mother. But it goes even further. In our text, in verse 34, it says, you know how these hands ministered to my necessities as well as to those who are with me. God gives elders, he gives leaders, he gives authority in the church so that there would be people who would would care for, who would shepherd, who would oversee, and who would help provide for the necessities of the people. It goes on in verse 35, it says, Paul says, You know that we must work, that we work hard because we must help the weak. And so God gives, gives these men to the church to do that, to to help with the necessities, to to care for, to oversee, to shepherd. But, but what does that mean? And immediately it makes me think of John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, if you're not familiar with it, um, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus had died and he had risen again. And he comes to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, okay, then feed my lambs. And then Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, at this point, is probably a little bit frustrated, like, okay, Jesus, you're supposed to be wise, but you just asked me the same question twice. Yes, you know that I love you. And he says, okay, then tend my sheep. But then a third time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, this time, I think, was a little bit uh, upset. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, okay, then feed my sheep. I think God gives men to the church, to oversee, to shepherd, to care for, and to help feed. Like, I think that's part of why we have preaching. It's part of why we sing the songs that we do. It's part, because there's this desire to help feed. But here's the thing. I didn't say that they feed, that they help feed. I think that there's this misconception, especially in the church in America, that you hire a pastor, that he comes in, he preaches, and he feeds you. And that is 100% not, what this is talking about. They help feed. Even if you look at God himself, Psalm 23, what does it say? It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't shove food down my throat, but he takes me to where the food is. It goes on and it says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. God himself as a shepherd leads us the food, leads us to the drink, to the living water. And God gives their people, men, as elders in the church to do that, to care for, to shepherd, to oversee. And he also puts lots of people in lots of areas of leadership to do that in the church as well. (laughs) But I don't think that it's just to help feed them as well. I think it goes further than that. And in Verse 34, like we said, it says, my, you know how my hands ministered to the necessities and to those who are with me. And it also says that by hard work, we help the weak. I think what it means is that God provides elders to the church to help equip. To get us to a point to where we're able to use the armor of God to help train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Like God is really all about giving people to oversee, to shepherd, to care for, to help feed and to help equip. And even you see that same thing in Ephesians chapter 4.11, which isn't specifically talking about elders, but it's talking about shepherds. And it says, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why does God give those? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So God has this desire For leadership, this desire for authority, for there to be people who will shepherd, who will oversee, who will care for, who will help feed and help equip the body. And as you think through this, it made me go back to Acts chapter six. In Acts chapter six, the the early disciples, like we had the original twelve disciples, but Judas betrays Jesus, so then he's he's out, and then now Matthias is brought in, so now we have twelve disciples again. The apostles, we have these 12 apostles... And they're trying to do it all. They're trying to serve. And they have widows that they're trying to serve. And so they're serving food to the widows. And then there's this complaint that they don't, they're not doing a good enough job of making sure all of the widows are getting their food. And they complain. And so the, the apostles decide, you know what? Let's bring on other people, which they, in essence, kind of deacons. Let's bring on other people who will serve the food so that we can, and it says, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But that word where it says the ministry of the word, that, that can be translated as using something for someone's service to care for their needs or to bring advantage to someone. So what they're truly saying is we want to devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word in a way that it can help feed, in a way that it can help equip. What we want to do is we want to use the word in such a way that we're coming to the flock, we're coming to the body, and we're, we're seeking to serve the word to them. We're seeking to help them, to feed, to equip them. And so I think first and foremost in this text that Paul is preaching to these Ephesian elders, he's sharing, he's charging, what he's telling them is, listen, God himself gives a plurality of elders to a church in order to shepherd in order to oversee, in order to care for, in order to help feed, in order to help equip the flock. And that should be something that is profound to us. He, that he cares that much that he would give that. But we can also, I think, look at how is it that, that elders should look? What are things that should characterize their lives? And right off the bat, if we went into a little bit of the text that Josh preached on last week, Acts chapter 20, verse 19, Paul says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set my foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And then he goes on and he says, I was not even counting my life as precious to myself. And if you look, God gives these these men to do this, and what their life should be characterized by is that they are servants who are humble, that are laying their lives down for the good of the flock. You can continue to go on, and we've talked about verse 34 and 35 a couple times, but in verse 34, what he's saying is that he, you know how my hands ministered to my needs as well as to those who are with me. And so what we should see is that they should be characterized as servants who are humble, who aren't just living for their own needs and not, aren't just trying to provide for their own needs, but are trying to help provide for other people's needs. They're also helping the weak. Verse 35, they quote Jesus who said it was more blessed to give than to receive. So right out of the gate, what we see, the way that an elder should be characterized is by a giving, hardworking man who lays down their life for the flock. But let me pause and talk about leadership in general. How often is it that if you've seen ugly leadership, that is not at all what you've seen? They're not in it for your good, they're in it for their good. I think almost all the time when we see a a leader that we have a really hard time with, that we think that they really lack good leadership, it almost always comes down to that. What's the reason why they're in it? But I think oftentimes we stop there. The way that an elder's life should be characterized is by, by hardworking, giving. They lay down their life for the flock. In fact, I read the text wrong initially on purpose. I read it wrong. Because I think that we, I, we read it this way. I think what we do is we see pay careful attention to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. But that's not what it says. It says, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has put you in charge of. How often is it, though, that we're not keeping a watch on ourself? If you're honest thinking through leaders, thinking through churches as a whole, how often has it been that maybe one of the leaders stopped paying attention to themselves? They stopped paying attention to their thought patterns. They stopped paying attention to maybe what images they were looking at. They stopped paying attention to themselves and the importance of their marriage. Just last, uh, probably two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody who, there was a pastor who he, in essence, had... He didn't officially divorce his wife, but he was living as if he was divorced from his wife and he became married to the church. And she was so sick and tired of it that she herself filed for divorce. I think it is a tragic thing when people in any form of leadership, particularly in the church, and even particularly as an elder, when they begin to... Pay more attention to the flock than even to themselves. It leads to burnout. It leads to all sorts of terrible things. But we see that this is something throughout. Pay careful attention to yourself. You can see it in 1 Timothy 4, 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing good, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Titus 2, 7 through 8. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. 1 Peter 5, 1-4 says this, So I exhort you elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And he says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. God gave elders to oversee, to shepherd, to care for, to to help feed, to help equip, to be people who lay down their life, to be a people who are humble, but it's also to be models. If there's eight men who are on the leadership team here at the church, if that right there, the fact that we are called to be models, doesn't in some way, shape, or form cause fear and trembling, then we have a huge problem. We are to be models. God gives elders to be characterized as living lives, as examples and models of the faith. That they would not be domineering. That word, not domineering, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, in the New American Standard, it's translated that they would not be lording it over those in their charge. How often is it a problem that you see in leadership where the person who is leading lords it over? See, it is a huge problem. The message translation says that they are not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Can you imagine what it looks like and feels like when there are leaders, when there are those who are in authority, who that's their method. They're examples. They're not let, lording it over you, but they're tenderly showing you the way that it is to be. But you know what we see so often in any form of leadership? you see this massive hypocrisy. But God himself gives elders to do the things that we've talked about. And then it goes on, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. So that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. You should, in theory, be able to look to the elders of the church and figure out that is how I am to behave in the church. And again, if that does not humble to the core anyone who is in any form of leadership, in particular as an elder, then you have a far different problem. It goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and says, those who aspire to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, therefore he must be above reproach. So God gives men to be examples, to, be, to lay down their lives, all those things that we said. But he also gives them so that you would see those who you can model, those who are showing you how to live in the household of God, but also that are living lives above reproach. I think what that means is that you'd be hard-pressed to find something to speak negative of in their life. It does not in any way, shape, or form mean that they're perfect. If you take about 30 seconds to look at any of the people on the leadership team at this church, you will very quickly realize that all of us have some very serious flaws. None of us are perfect, not even close. But my hope is what you would see is that people who are open who are real, who are vulnerable, who are living lives of integrity, and even when they fall, are quick to point it out, quick to confess it. One of the things I love about this church so much is that I can stand up here and speak of some of the struggles that I have, and there's no stones that are cast. I can stand up here and say that I truly, at times, struggle as a parent. I know that I can fall into the trap of exacerbating my child, children, it's not just one of them that gets the brunt of it sometimes. <laughs> Depends on the day, which one gets it, but all of them get it sometimes. In a lot of churches, what happens is the pastor or the elders feel like they have to maintain this view of perfection. And it's this false, false sense of bullcrap that doesn't even exist. And then, then it puts things on other people of how you're supposed to It's not that you're supposed to behave in a certain way that you got to do all the right things all the right times, say all the right words. What it is is that you are an example that even when you fall, you show how you get back up. Even when you fall, you show how you go to the Lord for forgiveness. So if you at any point in time begin looking to elders or pastors as someone who's going to show you perfection, you will see failure every time. What we should see, though, is those who are living lives above reproach that even when they fall, they're open, they're real, they're vulnerable, living lives of integrity. But how often do you see the opposite? I, I say this um, carefully. That in the church, you see the opposite often. I... Um, have been in some form of ministry for almost 20 years. And I can tell you that it takes more than one hand to count the number of pastors or elders that I saw fall in the area of sexuality. It takes more than one hand to count the number of marriages that ended in divorce for those who were in leadership of the church. You can read stories and see about elders or staff members of a church or even pastors of a church embezzling money from the church. A couple weeks ago, I heard this story, and I don't want to, I don't even, I didn't even pay attention to the name of it because it's not important at all. And I don't want to um, come down harsh in a judgmental way on this, but this pastor of a church, he bought his wife a Lamborghini. pretty nice little gift. And when some people kind of were like, "Uh, you're a pastor and you bought your wife a Lamborghini? He said, well, she works really hard and she deserves it. I can tell you this, my wife works really hard, but she does not deserve a Lamborghini. That mirror would be broken off the first time she tried to park it in the garage. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, so if, if we could pass the plates. No, no but, but how often do you see the opposite? You see things like theft from a church. You see pastors falling into a, a position where they're, they're having an inappropriate relationship or where they're not caring for themselves in their relationship with the Lord, and it leads to burnout. How often is it that you see slowly becoming this... Uh, filled with arrogant, prideful attitude? How often is it that you see broken relationships or a struggle for control? How often do you even hear of splits in a church over the color of carpet? And this is from the people that God placed into the church to oversee, to shepherd, to care for, to help feed and to help equip, people to be examples, models, those who are to live lives above reproach, and how often do we see the opposite? But I think that there's another thing that we see in this text of what God is saying that an elder should be marked by. It's this, verse 36, they pray. This group of men goes down to the edge of the beach, and they pray. You can see this all throughout Acts. You can see that the people, they prayed, they laid their hands on. You can see the instruction in the book of James, which we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about healing, that if any one of you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise among you. Is anyone sick? Let him call, call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. This is the thing, that those who are elders should be characterized as those who pray for the body who pray over the body, who pray with the body, who pray for the sick, who pray for the struggling, who are praying for those who are stuck in patterns of sin. They should be praying for the city. They should be praying for the flock. They should be people who pray. I can tell you that as a leadership team here, we we do pray. Are we as devoted to prayer as what we could or should be? Probably not. I don't really know what that really looks like, though. Because you often don't see it. In all the church life that I've been in, I can't say that I've really seen pastors, elders, fully, fully model what it means to be devoted to prayer. So when I look at us as a leadership team, I think, man, we're pretty darn devoted to prayer, but really, are we? Or is it just that that has not been what has been the case for so many years? Elders should be those that pray. So to summarize, elders should be characterized as models, examples in the faith. They're not domineering. They're not in it for their own gain. They're those that pray. They're humble servants that are laying down their lives. If you put all of this together. What, what what Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders is, listen, as God himself gives a plurality of elders to the church. He gives a plurality of leaders to the church in order to oversee, to shepherd, to Care for, to help feed, to help equip. They should be humble servants that are laying down their lives for their flock, that are models, examples of the faith. They're not domineering. They're not in it for their own gain, and they are those that pray. Why does God do that? Why does God give that to the church? Like, if you really think about it, if God is all-powerful, he could have done it in a million different ways. He doesn't need that. Why? Why does God do that? Verse 28 says, which he obtained, talking about the flock, which he obtained with his own blood. God cares so much about the church that he shed his own blood. He also cares so much about the church that he wants there to be people who oversee, who shepherd, who, as one translation says, who rule well. But I think there's another reason. Why does God give elders to the church. Um, I want to pause. We're going to come back to that. Think of marriage. Why does God give marriage? You could say for procreation. But Ephesians chapter 5 says this, that husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with the water to present herself holy and blameless to himself. Why does God give marriage so that we can look at a healthy marriage and we can see a picture of God Himself? God gave us, that's what marriage is designed to look like, is that when people would look at a godly marriage, they would say, That is a small picture of how God loves the church. Man, that's beautiful. It should also be, maybe when we see a marriage that's not healthy, that we look to it and we say, That's not how it is with God in the church. But if we come back in, why does God himself give elders, give shepherds to the church? Do you know why I think he does? Because he wants there to be men who are, who are humble, who are models, examples, who lay down their life. Why? Because then that gives you a picture, a small picture of an imperfect view of someone doing that. And you know what it does? It points you to the one who truly is humble. The one who is so humble that he found himself to be not in a form of God, yet emptied himself. You see, the truly humble one who was born and placed into a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. The desire is that you would look and you would see an elder seeking to be someone who's humble, and you would be reminded of the one who is truly humble, who was rich and yet became poor for us. The reason is that you would look and you would see a model, an example of the faith, but it would remind you of the one who is the perfect model and example of the faith, the one who was tempted in every single way, yet was without sin. That you would see it and you would realize that there was one who is truly above reproach and it was said that in him there is no deceit at all. It would point us to see the perfect model and example who was without sin and yet became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Us looking and seeing these shepherds, these overseers who care for and who seek to lay down their life for the flock, it should point us to the one who fully laid down his life, who became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. It should point us to see as the one that fully laid down his life, that died for all, that they may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died on their behalf. When we see men who are shepherding, who are seeking to know the sheep, who are living among them, who are seeking to share their lives as well as the gospel, it should remind us of the one who completely knows his sheep. When we see that there are are leaders in the church that care for the sheep, it should remind us of the one who deeply cares for the sheep so much that he leaves the ninety nine to pursue the one. You know what blows me away about that, though, in Luke chapter 15? When, when he leaves the 99 to go after the one, do you know what it says? It says that he pursues them until he finds them. When we look and we see an elder who's seeking to care for the sheep, it should remind us of the one who truly, deeply, fully cares for the sheep, and that is Jesus should remind us of the one who is on search and rescue. It should point to the one who is shepherding and overseeing our souls. It should point us to Jesus. So I want us to to, to slowly here wrap up and I want us to have some takeaways. Because again, I think it could be easy to come and listen and be like, oh okay, that's what it's supposed to be. Great. Go home. And it not really apply. So I want to try to give takeaways of what should this do. I think for all of us in this room, if we are followers of Christ, this should lead us to a deep praise and thanks to God. That God cares for you, not only did he create you, and he created you, and yet you are a sinner, and yet he sends Jesus through love and grace to die on the cross for us. And not only that, we have forgiveness of sins through Jesus, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit that we may live in his way. And if that's not powerful enough, that he also gives us other brothers and sisters in Christ as part of the body who can sharpen one another, who can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And not only is that, that's just not even enough. He then also wants to put there men who would oversee, who would shepherd, who'd care for, who'd help feed, who'd help equip, who would be models. Because he cares for the church so much the church that he obtained with his own blood, that he cleansed by his blood that he brought near by his blood, that he gave peace by his blood, that he freed us from sin by his blood. I think for all of us, it should lead us to a place of really asking, do I genuinely have a relationship with Jesus? Do I know the shepherd's voice? Am I following the shepherd? For those who are in an elder role, again, I mentioned that there are Eight in particular here. We call ourselves a leadership team. But there are eight men who, in essence, are functioning in this capacity. They are Keith Barber, Duke Bowles, Andrew Daffler, Bob Neubauer, Terry Offenberger, Keith Osborne, myself, Brian Pelfrey. What did I say? You said Keith. Keith Offenberger. Yeah, I, I wrote that down. <laughs> Keith, it's good to have you here, buddy. <laughs> Kevin. Osborne. See, I know everybody else so well. I don't know them. I even wrote it down wrong. That's hilarious. And then Rusty Toadvine. So for those of us who are in an elder role, I think that this should lead us to a point of realizing that really we aren't qualified. I think it should drive us to a deep, deep humility. this is an enormously awesome task that we cannot do on our own. I think it should lead us to a reckless abandonment of our flesh and a clinging to Christ. I think it needs to lead us to a place to where we understand the fact that we are called to a higher standard. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that if you teach, you will be judged with a greater strictness. It should lead us to a place where we have a major reliance on the Spirit, that He convicts, that He changes, and He leads us daily, hourly, by the minute. I would also add that it should lead us to a place of fear and trembling. If we are not a group of men that lead with fear and trembling, then we have a problem. It should lead us to a place of fear and trembling. And if, they, if we get to that place, I think, we, I think we are mostly, but if we continue to be, and if we are in that place, then I think it will be the healthiest place we would be because Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For those of you who maybe are in this room and you aspire to the work, you aspire a good thing. But I think that, hopefully, follow me with this analogy. Pre-arranged marriage doesn't work very often. At least well. Why? Because you can't really just hire someone to love someone. It doesn't really, really work that way. And I think the same is true in the church. If you aspire to do the work, I don't think it's something that you're hired to do. I don't think an elder is something like, oh, okay, we, we, we're looking for more elders. We want to we hire a new elder. I think what it is is we acknowledge what is already happening in that person's life. We see that this person is marked as being a model. We see this is a person who absolutely loves and cares for the flock. And really more so than hiring someone to be an elder, I think it is recognizing what is already happening and acknowledging it. So for those who aspire to do the work, I would say, allow it to be recognized in you that you are a model, an example of living for Christ. Do you know, In you don't need to remember this per se, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1, in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Philippians 3, 17, 4, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, Paul mentions that if you imitate him, you will imitate Christ. If you aspire to the work, give yourself over to the Lord fully and seek to be a model, an example. Not that you'd be perfect. Seek to be someone who's characterized as someone who absolutely loves, serves, and lays down their life for the body. And if ultimately what you really want is the term, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you want that term, if you want that recognition, then I I humbly tell you, then, then it's not time. I would say part of the reason why we don't call ourselves as elders is because all of us are frightened about what that really means. Because none of us feel completely qualified. So I would challenge those who aspire to the work, be known by one that cares and loves and lays yourself down by the, for the body. If you are here and you are not an elder, I want to recognize that all of us have probably seen some aspects of abuse of leadership, even in the church. We've very likely seen a pastor or an elder fall. We definitely have seen at least one ungodly example. We had to have. I think it can make the verse 1 Peter 5.5 5 really difficult. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Man, we don't like that in our culture. We, we, we typically will go to a church and we'll stay there until we don't like it anymore, and then we'll go to another one. And rarely do we, do we find a place where we say, These are not perfect leaders, but I'm going to trust them. I'm going to come under authority. I'm going to be subject to them. Rarely do we do that. But ultimately, that's what 1 Peter 5.5 5 is saying. It goes on in 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So I want to say this. If you, for any reason, lack a trust in the leadership here, I would challenge and encourage you as your brother in Christ, find a place where you can trust them well enough that you are willing to come, you're willing to be subject, you, you honor them. You can find a place that you esteem them highly. Because I think God has so much to show us in that process. One of the greatest ways I think that you can show respect and esteem highly those who God has placed in that position through the Holy Spirit is that you step up and you use your gifts. The Bible is very clear for all of us who are in Christ. The second we became followers of Christ, we were given gifts. And the Bible even describes it that if, if, if you have a gift and you're not using it, the entire body suffers. So one of the greatest ways that I think that you can show trust and respect and esteem them highly is when you step up and use your gifts. Now, we've been mostly talking about elders. If you are in any role of leadership in any way, shape, or form, you should be a shepherd. It should be about the care of, it should be about overseeing. It should be about wanting to help feed people and help encourage them, exhort them, help equip them. You should be being a model, an example. And I can tell you this, rarely will you ever have a problem with someone who's in leadership who does those things. If you're in leadership at work, if you're in leadership in the classroom, if you are in leadership of the school board, if you are in any form of leadership, can you imagine what it would be said and how it points to the one who truly is humble if you're humble? Can you imagine how it points to the one who truly laid his life down if you yourself lay your life down? If you are in any form of leadership, almost all of this applies. My prayer for us as individuals, as a church, and particularly as elders, as those on the leadership team, that we would be characterized as those seeking to be models of the faith who are seeking to live lives above reproach, that are seeking to lay down our lives because we want to point to Him. We're going to continue this conversation next week, picking up on verse 29 and 30, and um, I would love for you to be here next week. But even more than that, I ask that, All of us pray. Not only for those who are in leadership here in this church, but the church down the street and the church down the street. Pray the same for our government. Pray the same for those who are police officers. That we pray that people may see Christ through how those of us who are in Christ lead. Let's pray. God, I um, truly humbly come before you with an aspect of fear and trembling, realizing that you have called me, that you have placed me by the Holy Spirit in a position that that I have a great opportunity to point to you. And God, I pray specifically for anyone in this room that is in a form of leadership in their home, in the church, in their jobs, in their classrooms. God, I pray for them that you would find those areas in our lives where this is not the case where we maybe are not examples, where we maybe aren't humble, where we aren't servants. And God, you would penetrate us to the core with the image of Jesus who was all of those things. And God, I pray that you would remind us that even though we fall, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's love at the feet of the cross. God, help us to not be a people who strive to do this in our own strength but be a people who strive to see it in you and allow you to cleanse us by the blood of the spotless lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.